This is Daniel King, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Wellness. How are you doing, GFU family? This is Dan King, and I'm so excited to have my special guest, Dr. Rebecca Yazzie, joining us. And Rebecca is the program director here at George Fox University for the MSW, and she is a social worker. And I wanted to invite her to come and speak about lots of different cool things, but I just wanted to start off by just asking the question, you know, what what got you into social work? That's a great question. What got me into social work? So my um, undergraduate degree mm-hmm. is in criminal justice, and I have family members that are police officers, um, uh, well-tenured police officers, retired from law enforcement. Um, and so I initially thought that's what I wanted to go into. But mm-hmm. then I got my first job after undergraduate okay. work and quickly realized that uh, lots of people are suffering and they're suffering on a number of different levels and in different ways. And so it prompted me to go back to get my master's degree in social work. Um, and so the primary reason I went into social work was really to find out how I could help alleviate people who were just in, you know, in pain mm-hmm. and all different kinds of pain. Phys- there's, there's physical pain, right? There's emotional pain, there's psychological pain. So, and to really think through how to, um, advocate for these individuals, families, and communities um, to make some larger systemic change. Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. So you talked about pain. What aspect of pain do you think that made you say, I'm going to kind of leave the law enforcement you know, world and kind of more into social work? Was it more the psychological? Was it more the community or the substance? Was it family? What do you think that was? Yeah. One word, trauma. So trauma, mm. as we've all experienced in the last couple of years through a shared trauma, i.e. the pandemic, shared trauma in mass school shootings, shared trauma in natural disasters, right? So we don't think, we think of trauma as like, sometimes people think of trauma as one, it looks one way, yeah. um, which is just, you know, there's all kinds of different types of trauma. So when I, when I say pain, I, I think of generational trauma, mm. uh, growing, if you are a child growing up in a, a home that has uh, parents who are abusing substances, that's trauma, yeah. right? There's all these sort of adverse experiences. So that's what I'm referring to is just, Children and families who are exposed to lots of different um, small traumas, big traumas, and then also uh, their dif- the difficulties they have and just f- figuring out how to heal from that. Uh, and we see we see challenges in that because it gets really sticky. Yeah. So you went from your master's and then you got a Ph.D., right? I did. I don't know why. No, just kidding. I- <laughs> so did you then at that time were like, was there something that you were trying to figure out or did you feel like there was something more that you wanted to study at that point? That's a great question. I eventually came to the, to the point where I wanted to uh, teach, uh, you know, social workers who wanted to go into Mm -hmm. the career of independent social work practice, which is typically the graduate level. So my first goal was to get a PhD so that I could uh, begin to teach right at the graduate level. But the second goal I really had was to do a little bit of research and find out more about how we serve our incarcerated individuals, mm. primarily juveniles, young people, um, and what kinds of services are offered to them more from a systemic framework. And are they equitable? Who's getting the services? Mm-hmm. Who's not? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and evaluating that. So that was the other reason I kind of, you know, wanted to get a PhD. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. 
So you also serve something on a board or for the government or the governor? So I do a little bit of work with consulting um, uh, and a couple different platforms. So I do some work with the um, clemency board here in Oregon, looking at juvenile cases. Um, I also have worked with the Oregon Board of Parole and Post-Prison Supervision, mm-hmm. um, working with their team to help um, be a little bit more trauma-informed in their practices. Yeah. So, yeah, I do a lot of uh, consulting and board work with those couple of entities. Yeah. You know, I think you're really one of the first people I've actually been able to sit down with and actually ask questions about social work. Now, I know social workers. Um, one of my, my neighbors is a social worker. And I, I speak in, I've spoken with her, but I've never been able to really ask her kind of like more of the questions. So to practice in the state of Oregon, do you just need an MSW or is it or can you have a bachelor's degree and practice as a social worker as well, too? Great question. So, yes, oftentimes people um, they ask, like, what is social work? Yeah. Right. And so this is kind of a nice uh you know, very short statement that I could help to answer that question. So social work is really known as a practice-based profession Mm. that promotes social change, um, development, um, connection, and empowerment of people and communities, right? So that's the core of what social work as a profession is, as a discipline. You can practice at two different levels mm. in social work as a discipline. At the undergraduate level, okay. uh, which well, you could do case management, you can work as in child welfare, you could probably work in schools, um, doing some support roles. And then you can also practice at the graduate level, which is considered independent social work practice. Mm. And the three levels of practice um, that we have in our discipline, it's uh, there's three levels. So there's the micro level of social work, mm-hmm. which is really working one-on-one with individuals or small groups, maybe at your church, you're leading a support group. There's the meso level of social work where this is where we see people working in prisons and in mm-hmm. jails, in hospitals, medical social work, um, in schools as a school social worker. And then at the macro level, a lot of people don't know that macro level social work is everywhere. There's <clears throat> Congress, Congress men and women who have MSWs. Uh, mm-hmm. The macro level is working at systemic change, policy change, um, community organizing, mm-hmm. right? Community mm-hmm. development. So you can practice social work at two different levels and you can practice social work in about three different spheres. Wow. Which is really kind of cool. That is cool. Do you know like roughly how many social workers there are? I mean, I don't know. I know there's a great need, but I don't know exactly how many. Got yeah. It. yeah. So when you mean great need, there's a lot of job opportunities right now. There's a lot of job opportunities right now, uh, right. especially with the, the uh, influence of the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for answering that. I kind of wanted to touch back ba- back to what you said in the beginning and the understanding of like, why did you pick like working with people in jails, right? People yeah. who are incarcerated. Like, yeah. was it because of your background? Was it because of your family members? Was it trauma? I mean, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I fortunately uh, did not come from a family who had, you know, my own family of origin did not have individuals who are incarcerated. Mm. Um, you know, I think everyone who probably goes into social work or the helping professions has been exposed to some type of adverse experiences or trauma. So I'm definitely not immune from that. But I think what really drew me to corrections, both juvenile and adult, um, was that You know, I am a person of faith, and um, my faith tradition really challenges me to be the two feet of Jesus, you know, like charitable works, but then also um, addressing social justice. And that's one thing that um, I think we forget about. We talk about marginalized communities and communities who might be poor, vulnerable, um, but there's a segment of the individuals who often get 
ostracized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these individuals have uh, committed crimes and and made really poor decisions. Um, So once they are in the system, though, we can't forget about them, right? There's some humanity and some dignity that is still should be maintained. Um, So I was just drawn to that population, especially the younger folks, um, because, you know, they need a lot of support and they need a lot of compassion. And they're a very challenging population, but they're the most rewarding population to work with. And every day was an interesting work day. Mm, mm. Yeah, I can only <laughs> I can only imagine, right? Yeah. To be able to sit with that. We had another guest uh, who said that when she looked at her life work, she thought to herself that the people that she wanted to sit with was the specialty she actually chose. Mm-hmm. And I shared with her that for me, it was, it was chronic pain patients. Mm-hmm. That's who I wanted to spend time with. And I kind of hear you saying the same thing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like if you were going to pick the pick a practice area, that yeah. that would be an area that you would want to sit with, yeah. right? And yeah. spend time with and help those people or and in, 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 in another way kind of helps us, right? Have perspective. Yeah. So when you do your work, when you do your consultant work, I mean, what are some of the things that they're looking for when they're looking at clemency and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of like, I mean, because I'm a social worker and I come to this perspective of or from a perspective of a holistic viewpoint. Right. So what is holism? There's there's pieces of so I bring to that particular work group a mental health perspective, but a perspective of restoration, right? So if this person Mm -hmm. is going to be released or when this person transitions or when I'm working with these folks in institutions and we're preparing them to return back to our community, um, how do we consider, right, the wholeness of them Mm -hmm. and who they are as an individual? Yes, there's these circumstances and um, crimes and there's victims. Yeah, You know, let's be clear, there's an impact on the community. Of course. Um, but how do we consider all those things and still sort of um, give this person a chance at success? Yeah. And and it all comes back to, you know, like you said earlier, how do we relate wellness to some of these things? And it, it's holism. It's that the core of oneself, you know, through a lot of different domains, yeah. physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological. Um, so I, I hope to, that's what I do. I try to bring that perspective of have we considered their trauma, their support system, the the work that they have done to be rehabilitated, yeah. right? I mean, a lot of folks are doing that. They're doing the good work. Um, and so just bringing that kind of a perspective. Yeah. I love that word, restoration. I think it's such a powerful word. Um, what are some of the examples that you can think of from your time um, as in academics, but also maybe in your practice of of maybe examples of restoration for mm-hmm. somebody, you know, and it doesn't have to be someone who's been incarcerated. It could be anybody that you've worked with, because I think one of the things as a coming more from a biomedical tradition, mm-hmm. the new, you know, the thing that's been around, it, people say it's new, but it's been around for 40 years. It's the biocycle social, right? And I feel like you're the social part. A lot of people don't get right. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, so. and no one really talks about restoring something. Right. Right. And I think that when you talk about community, when you talk about social support mm-hmm. and all these things, right? I think they're so important. So I just wanted to know if maybe you had an example that you think is like something that we can maybe model after or say this is really important. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes to mind immediately um, from a example of like what can the community do or a systemic example is uh, in the work that I do, you know, these folks have a lot of barriers, right? So mm-hmm. they're they're doing the work that society or the courts has asked them to do. Okay. And if they are doing it and they're achieving it, you know, now they're sort of, okay, I've done what I've needed to do. 
in a restorative justice model, like what's the is the community and society and my neighborhood and my family, are they ready to then accept me back? Mm. And one of the examples that we see a lot, which we need more of, is employers that will um, be willing to hire individuals with these backgrounds. Um, that's one specific example of restorative thinking, right? Like yeah. harm has been done, um, but we're going to give this person an opportunity to restore and give back, yeah. right? So uh, employers who do that, um, I think another example that I've seen in my work in juvenile corrections is just really encouraging families to be involved uh, in the rehabilitation process. Mm -hmm. And that's hard when people have been hurt and harmed. But yeah. when I've seen, we call it like clarification, when family can come together um, and sometimes it's their own siblings in the home who've been affected. Sometimes it's it's parents themselves who've been offended. But when we when we come together and do that really challenging work, mm -hmm. um, the, the clarification and that restoration of what has been harmed can be very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, so, so that's an example of where I think if we're willing to lean into that, um, people can feel whole again to some degree. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. How difficult is it to try to get family involvement with somebody or maybe even societal, right? We can go even global and say, you know, there's a stigma for some people who've been incarcerated, who, like you said, jobs might even be, um, it, it, maybe even colleges or education, right? Or anything, because they ask you, mm -hmm. you know, have you had a misdemeanor? Have you had a right. felony, right? right? They ask you. And when you hit those or you mark those off, knowing that you might get a follow-up question, right? Yeah. I mean, so what are some of the ways do you think we can learn as a society or maybe even as families to kind of, um, I, I don't know if the word is forgiveness. You sure. probably have yeah. another word, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So just like accept, you know, and recognize. Right. And then to give people grace and another chance, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think you make a good point there, Dr. Hing. I think that, especially in the work that I've done around trauma, um, forgiveness is a, is, a, is a concept that is very individualized. So, mm. you know, we can't just say, you know, forgive everybody for what's happening. But um, one of the things I think if we, how to get families kind of engaged is I think as a society and as a community, and then of course in social work, we're trying to help people understand that, um, Without an opportunity for growth, right? People are the people who have harmed us may yeah. not be able to live a productive, successful life. And the whole goal is that we hope that they won't harm anyone again. Right. Right. That's the right. whole goal. So, right, right. as a society, we don't want recidivism. As a society, we don't want subsequent acts, yeah. right? Yep. But we have to take part in the process in yep. which that healing can happen. Yeah. Um, and so that healing can look different right. for every family or every victim. Right. You know, um, but it, but it's even just the opportunity to engage in that might be good. Yeah. So are there are there stages of healing that are out there that you that people study? I know there's you know, I know there's stages of grieving. Oh, sure, right. Yeah. yeah. But like stages of healing, because I mean, that's such a powerful thing thinking about it. Right. Like, how do we heal from something that's so deep, especially something like trauma? Right. Especially with all the things that are happening right now in our world, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a very interesting thought around that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, and um, you know, without the literature right in front of me, I can just say that when it comes to healing with from trauma, I think people first and foremost have to even they'd have to be aware that they've been traumatized. Right. And I think as a society, I think we're getting a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But as you had said earlier about concept in, in your work, you know, trauma, the concept of trauma has been around a long time, but. Right. But we're just, I wouldn't say just now, but with the pandemic, yes. right, we're, we're finally kind of recognizing it. Yeah. Um, 
but it's like, it's been around a long time, you know? So the first step that we can all do is even just get educated on like, what kinds of trauma are there? Yeah. Because there's all different categories. Mm. There's, there's, uh, like I mentioned before, systemic, natural disasters, there's interpersonal, there's all kinds of stuff. There's organizational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We see that in the workplace right now with Mm. having to transition back to work. Right. So the first step I think is just, um, becoming more aware of trauma, that trauma exists. Yeah. And, um, I think I was talking to a colleague earlier today who is a provider, a social worker and working with someone who just transitioned out of prison. And, you know, we had this conversation and he was very frustrated with the client and Mm -hmm. he was, you know, kind of going on and on. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, have you considered that being in prison that long is he's experienced systemic trauma and what kind of compassion do we have towards that versus the compassion we might have towards somebody was in a horrific car accident and experienced the trauma. Yeah. So that's the first step. Right. Is kind of recognizing that different kinds exist. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that we are a society are getting a little bit better at it. But do you think that we might be getting like too focused on trying that? That's a great, that's another great point that's out there right now. Um, The, this whole, it's a good thing that we're more trauma informed, um, but it's also, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can get rid of all kinds of triggers and all kinds of um, hurt. I mean, people are people or humans and sometimes negative things happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that we are still in the process, Mm -hmm. especially in different contexts, figuring out what's the best way to approach healing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And keeping people safe. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit around the nose. I mean, from what I've noticed, and again, don't have the literature in front of me, but thinking about it, I know that safety is like a crew, you know, crucial thing. I've spent more time um, making my students feel safe mm-hmm. in the last two years mm-hmm. than I have in eight years before that. Right. Right. And that's safety and knowing what's going to happen, right. safety in the classroom, if there's going to be a natural disaster or if there was going to be an intruder, right, who's going to calm threat. It's like all of these safety measures I do right up front with them mm-hmm. so that they feel like there's a plan in place right. and that they feel safe by the, the things that we're doing. And and I've really gotten a huge response from the class thanking me yep. for spending time doing that where, you know, five years ago, I'm not doing that. You right. know, it's like it's in the syllabus. Right. We we may talk about some of the things in the syllabus and the curriculum, but then we moved on and. I, I used to think, you know, as I was doing this, you know, I was talking to one of my lab instructors and um, he used to be a student. And he's like, you know, you should never do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but I think that mm-hmm. we really need to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that is being more trauma informed yeah. because they're all coming back from being online and they want to know it's the rules still the same. Right. 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 Is something going to happen? Is, is that what's what is that going to be? But I've been wondering if there's anything else that I'm missing. You know, is there something more that I can do, right, mm-hmm. to help others who've been trauma traumatized or have had trauma happen to them? And what else can I do to help, you know, um, develop community? Yeah. You yeah. know, because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to let them because they're going to go and they're going to work with people, too. Right. So how do I help them have efficacy to go out and, you know, develop their own relationships, but also develop their community, right? Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And I think you're speaking to kind of the, you went, when you asked, what are the steps, right? And I think that, the, so there's the trauma awareness and knowledge, and then it's putting it into action. But I think there's part, what you just described a moment ago is part of that healing process is helping people uh, build trauma resistant skills. Mm. So, you know, there's, the, like I said earlier, there's this, you know, the world, we cannot all be protected from a world of harm. We just right. can't, right. you know, I wish we could, but we... 
uh, we don't have that power. Right. And so it's helping people increase that window of tolerance in yeah. a safe way. So it's not that we have to, comp- mm. you know, I think we try our best to make sure people are safe, but also balancing that with, we want them to build those trauma resistant skills so mm. they can stay in that window of tolerance uh, where they are going to be sort of impacted by stress and adverse experiences and, and suffering, but that they can navigate that. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the goal. Wow. I, you're, you're opening up a whole new, new world for me. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I mean, I've been studying the biopsychosocial for so long and I've been, I mean, I've been really waiting for this conversation to talk to someone who's an expert on the social p- component. Mm-hmm. I've, I have a lot of friends who are behaviorists, psychologists, especially, as you know, and it's just so wonderful to talk about that. What are some of the skills that you teach people to like be, be able to tolerate or be, be able to um, be resilient? when these stresses or even triggers are happening yeah. are there and i know that might not be your specialty but i just wanted to ask if there's anything because i'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who yeah. this is probably we've all kind of gone through it um just through the pandemic but also other things is there certain um things that you usually suggest that people start with when they're thinking about this yeah and so yes great great question and i will kind of put out my disclaimer i do teach practice classes i am nowhere near trained as a neurobiologist but there's great neurobiology out there now that's informed us as social workers of how to help people um you know use that brain science to Mm -hmm. really sort of take command of their own bodies and Mm -hmm. their own physiologies Mm -hmm. um so there are some things and and i think that it it could be two or three simple things that people start to do as a daily practice um and one can be more intuitive to us if you are a person of faith, but um, meditation and meditation slash prayer or mindfulness activities are really good. Um, And I think the second one that people don't really realize is, is can be helpful is gratitude exercises. Mm -hmm. Gratitude exercises we know helps uh, strengthen the, uh, there's a little singulate, I forgot the name of it, but it kind of connects. There's a piece that connects the the left and the right hemisphere. So gratitude helps us to sort of have that emotional impulsive reaction. Yeah. If we do gratitude over a period of time, um, it'll help us have that skill of, okay, I'm having this emotional reaction, yeah. but also I can sort of in the moment say, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for this. I see this other part. Yeah. I'm so that I don't completely sort of have a, a emotional reaction. So it's more of a response versus an emotional reaction. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, it's simple things. I mean, without getting into, like you said, more therapeutic skills and yeah. stuff that people can do, but believe it or not, physical exercise, yes. cardiovascular, at yeah. least 20 hours or 20 minutes, I think, uh, yeah. at least if you get that heart pumping, yep. it helps with a lot of um, anxiety and you know, that's right. Depression, yeah. and all kinds of things. So get people moving. <laughs> You know, it's so true, but it's like, it's so, a lot of people find it almost a threat. I know. Right. For those who want it. Right. Right. Especially like, um, you know, feeling your um, heart pump or worrying about pain afterwards. Right. Delayed onset. And so it's been really interesting to actually help frame that. Uh So Uh what we do now is we really want to know what the goal of the person is. Mm -hmm. And then we break it down into really small pieces. Mm -hmm. And then we start doing our like meaningful movement around there. Right, right, right. So we had a a, 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 a case um, the other day where she's such a wonderful woman, but um, her daughter told her something that triggered her with her trauma and she journaled it and she had all of the systemic um, pain come back. And she came back and she's like, you know, I don't think I can exercise because I have so much pain. Yeah. So she shared with us some things that were in the journal and we asked her what her goal was. And she says, you know, if I could get a tire and a, and a bat, I would just hit the 
tired with the bat over and over and over. And we didn't have that. But what we, we said to her is like, well, when's the last time you did a push-up? And she's like, I don't know. So what we did is we had her do a wall push-up. And when she did is when she was doing a wall push-up, she would push off the wall as hard as she can. And she thought about pushing her problems away mm-hmm. and then kind of coming back. And so she, I said, like, these are like mindfulness exercises. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's like, I never would have thought about that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we got her PVC piping and then we got a little ball and she was like hitting it with it. And she was saying that, you know, she says, I was so encouraged because you listened to me. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's like, imagine if I did our standardized exercises and not listen to her mm-hmm. about what she wanted to do. Right. I think that we may have missed it, right? Yeah. If I put her on the treadmill, right, right, right. if I put her on the bike. I mean, these are all great things, but she got such a good workout doing that. And then she was ready to do treadmill walking right, right. because she was she felt like she was heard. Right, right. And I think that a lot of times um, as a physical therapist, um, I feel like we really need to listen to the patient mm-hmm. or listen to the person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had that same uh, thoughts as you're working with people right yeah really listening to them and, yeah. and saying like okay well we don't have that but we can definitely work on these things absolutely you know? yeah i mean that's kind of what at the heart of social work is um as a profession really using like client-centered approaches right so yeah. um it would be uh really important and that's especially important when you're working with different stages right because in social work you're not just working with adults right you might be working with children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so how do you get um you know an eight-year-old to to use to get cardiovascular right yeah. well that's going to look very different very, very <laughs> and they're different. probably going to have an opinion about how they do that right which is great which is fine because yeah. that's client-centered it's yeah. listening to what and in our work in our profession the clients are the experts of their lives right yeah. so like probably many professions um so i think it, it helps us in our profession to also take a step back and say i might i might have this graduate training but you're the expert in your life and i'm going to glean on your wisdom yeah because you know that that honors diversity that yep. honors different world or uh, life experiences um, to, to ask them what's yeah. been helpful for them, yeah. right? And what resource has been helpful for you versus me telling you what I think yeah. your resource should be. Yeah, so, I love that. Yeah. You've already touched on this, but I wanted to, um, I wanted us to have a, just a few moments of maybe talking about it. Is why do you think faith is such an important component or it should be a component of our society? Yeah, you know, one of the things I love about our MSW program at George Fox is that we integrate faith, right, in social work practice teaching. Um, and so that's unique to us in terms of our program versus other programs in the state. I, so both professionally and personally, I believe that faith can, um, when we talk about, again, holism and a holistic view of somebody, mm-hmm. their uh, sense of being, right, mm-hmm. and who they are, and their overall well-being is really impacted by the presence of faith. Yeah. So there's lots of also, especially in substance abuse field, literature around um, if someone identifies with a faith community, mm. like what the protective factors could be, right? Mm. And so I think if we know that and as social workers, then we need to really connect people with that. Yeah. Um, but also at that meso macro level I was speaking to earlier, yeah. how can we engage faith communities and even having more AA groups or support groups or mm-hmm. so I think and because then then that leads to the community building mm-hmm. and support system. So I think faith is again from a professional and per- personal perspective, faith must be at least um, assessed. Mm-hmm. And if it's if again because we are client centered, so mm-hmm. um, that's okay. But we also think about spirituality and social work practice, like just who we are uh, 
how we connect to one another, yeah. right? Humanity yeah. and who we are in this large world. So that could be even if it's not quote unquote a, a formal faith tradition or formal religiosity, but like helping people just see that like we are we are one person, but there's so much stuff bigger than us yeah. that we connect to, yeah. right? Whether it's the land or one another, mm-hmm. or I mean like that's, you know, a, 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 an existence that should be yeah. cultivated. Yeah. So faith is just an important thing in our overall well-being. Yeah. Um, and it helps to helps people cope with when the, that is the suffering. I also, you know, to be, like I said, to be clear too, there's, you know, faith and, and other aspects of spirituality that can, that can cause trauma. Yeah. Right. So I think sure. we have to recognize that, but, but it can't, if it's, if it's experienced really um, positively and healthy, then it's a great thing. Yeah, Absolutely. How do you go about having a conversation like that without feeling like you're going to offend somebody? Sure. Right. Because this, we do have this discussion and even in, in my profession, right? Like talking about, uh, you know, spirituality and also faith. Is there a way that you discuss that in your program? And have you found ways to, you know, be able to talk to someone about it with, you know, being able to not, um, you know, I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, we have to be PC, but you sure. know, being being feeling making them feel safe. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, even working in the jails, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a very unique population. So <laughs> because I don't know really if they do have a faith background versus yeah. like if we're in this setting, you know, sometimes we know more sure. transparently. So I think when for social workers, when we're trying to talk and engage around support systems, mm. that's a good kind of vehicle to get like there. That. You know, who's your support system? Yeah. And if, you know, if they're speaking family only, then you can kind of extend that spear. You know, mm-hmm. is there anyone in your community that you're connected with? You start expending, extending that spear. And, and if they don't mention faith or they don't mention a specific, you know, formal elements of that, that's mm-hmm. one way you can get there. Um, or if you know that they come from a faith background, of course, just directly asking, right? Yeah. But then, but my, the way I do it um, is because I acknowledge that, again, that spiritual experience could look very different for different people. I don't want to assume it's a positive experience. So yeah. I might say, what role right. you know, has faith had in your life? Yeah. Because that's an open-ended question where they can kind of tell me, you know, I actually was raised this way or that way, but it's it, I'm away from that right now. Okay. Or, you know, I was raised in this and I'm very, um, very traditional. Um, but I think the other way is just, again, the vehicle is like, <clears throat> how, who is your support system and what do you lean on to get through pain or what do you like, who do you lean on or what do you lean? Do you have a practice that Mm. you use to help you get through these things, you know, and people eventually kind of get to that. Like they'll say, you know, so I think you, at least in our profession, we teach students like, because I think there's a misconception that we don't, we can't directly ask, um, but you can, I mean, it's kind of those contextual practice skills, right? Like you you got to kind of, with that practice wisdom, right? You'll know where to go and when to go. But I think just even just asking people like, how do you cope with these things? Yeah. What do you do? Um, yeah. So that's one way. Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually a wonderful way. I really have learned so much from you already, just the way that you communicate with people and how you are respectful, but at the same time trying to understand um, the, the important things to them. Um, I wanted to ask you another question about um, faith. How do you see faith um, and religiosity or religion? Is that something different? I mean, because religiosity or religion in itself is kind of like a community, right? Yeah. And then faith is sometimes more personal, right. Right? right? Like, how do you see that, right? When someone says, you know, I love, you know, I have a faith, 
but I don't want to be affiliated, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pump for that, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that we, and hopefully here in our program, we try to help people understand is um, I think as a social worker, as a professional, we have to understand that we're we're helping people to act, like I said earlier, what is social work, right? Empower themselves and, and to create, you know, um, development and connection. So one of the things that I would say is that um, religiosity might have more um, structure or, you know, there's a, there's an organization connected mm-hmm. to that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's mores and there's traditions and there's things like that. They're much more structured. Uh, faith for one person, like you said earlier, could be a, their relationship with God or their relationship with another spiritual being mm-hmm. or their relationship with the earth. I mean, we talk about indigenous mm-hmm. communities, right? Some identify mm-hmm. in religious, in religious spaces, some identify more as a traditionalist, mm-hmm. which could, their, their faith could have much more broader, um, you know, it's not linear. It's mm-hmm. so there's, so that's how I differentiate. And I think that, um, it's important to recognize those two because, you know, people are going to come into our spaces, our classrooms with yeah. varying degrees of that. But I think, uh, part of our role hopefully is to help them through that, uh, spiritual journey, mm-hmm. kind of figure out and grapple with that. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great opportunity for us, not only as, um, professors here at Fox in our role as, as teachers, but in social work, like yeah. that's another part of somebody's holistic being that maybe they're searching to navigate yeah. and we should step into that with them. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's that holistic approach is challenging for clinicians as well as professors, as students, as we grapple with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that I really appreciate you actually giving a space to actually think about it mm-hmm. in that perspective. I always give a little bit of time to the guests to share anything. If you felt like there's something that you wanted to share, right, about social work or maybe even from your own experience, right? Uh, because our audience is a is a wide base. It could be from students to alums, yeah. right? People supporters of George Fox. I could just be like, they're just on YouTube and they saw us, right? And they're yeah. like, hey, they look good, like fun <laughs> people to listen to. So it, it could be lots of different reasons. But I just wanted to know if there was anything you wanted to share. Just in your, kind of your final thoughts. Yeah, I think actually, thank you for that. Um, I do. I think that uh, after being in this profession a really long time, again, just referencing a lot of the horrific stuff that goes on in our world, mm-hmm. um, just encouraging, like what I've learned is that, you know, people are resilient and um, they, we really are, mm-hmm. right? And so just really recognizing that, um and, and as I started off this conversation, that it's not necessarily that we need to forgive everybody or we need to, um, you, you know, sort of let go of harm or not have any accountability. But it's 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 ho- encouraging people. You know, I've seen a lot of things and I've heard a lot of things and I've read a lot of horrific mm-hmm. things. But how can I show up every day mm-hmm. and still have compassion towards other people? Mm-hmm. That, if we could do a lot more of in our communities, would really strengthen us. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to do. It's hard yeah. to hold two in the same space, right? It's hard to see a mass school shooting one morning and then go to a meeting where we're advocating for people to get out of jail. Yeah. But you have to do both. Yeah. Because life is about both. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's my my lasting piece is like, um, I hope people can really be courageous in that way. Yeah. Um, and it's not easy, but if, if pe- more people did that, it's, it's kind of, and that's one example, but it's, you know, I think I mean, I mean it in a broader sense. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's such a profound thought actually. 
you know, I always call it the tension. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's always yeah. tension in our life, yeah. right? Always. And, and always. And I think that um, for us, you know, we were so grateful to have a faith that actually makes us probably go deeper. Right. Because when we are when we have a lot of tension, I think we go deeper within ourselves yeah. because we're like we don't really always understand right. why we have to, why that happens or right. why that occurred. Yeah. But how do we still um, be able to uh, be compassionate or empathetic people and not to be so jaded? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you said it in such a wonderful way of saying that. And I feel like that is such a great, um, I don't know, perspective to have, especially yeah. this time in our lives. So I just want to thank you for this time again. Thanks for joining us at GFU uh, Digital. And thanks again for joining us. Thanks. Yeah. This has been a production of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to George Fox Talks on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you're streaming on. Check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash George Fox Talks. <laughs>